You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore adada. Well, yesterday I got carried away on a couple topics, and so I missed out on a couple of uh, news and notes from around the league and whatnot. First of all, Heinz Field is no longer Heinz Field. Not really Packers news, but I do find it interesting. Not going to go too much into it, but I don't know, man. I'm one of those guys that's kind of weird about change. But at the same time, it's Heinz Field. It's not like it's Lambeau Field. It's Ketchup Field. It's no longer Ketchup Field. Let's friggin' cry about it, I guess. I guess I just wish it was something that, you know, rolled off the tongue. I mean, Heinz Field works. Um, Acrisure? Acrisure? Is the new name of the stadium? I guess it's a financial tech company. I don't know, man. I, I understand that this is where all the money's at, you know insurance companies and financial institutions and everything, but I guess I just wish it was something cool. Even Heinz Ketchup, it seems stupid, but it's like, dude, it's it's more relatable, you know? I don't know. I guess I just want my stadium sponsored by something that's in my cabinet as opposed to some financial tech company, whatever that even means. Like, do you finance tech companies or are you a tech company that is in like the... Fi- like you build apps for, you know, financial... I don't know. I don't know what this is. It sounds boring and stupid. It just doesn't feel football, you know? Heinz ketchup is football. Why? Because I'm going to put ketchup on my hot dog. Yes, I put ketchup on my hot dog. Chicago people, shut up. I don't like relish. I don't like pickles. I don't like onions, and I don't like mustard, so I don't want to hear it. All that stuff is gross. By the way, Chicago-style hot dogs, I don't put ketchup on just because it's... they're. I eat them plain because they're so good. But if you're going to get, like, the pork ones, you got to put ketchup on it because they just don't taste very good. This isn't about hot dogs, though. It kind of is. kind of is. You know, I, I obviously don't want Lambeau Field to change their name, but if they did, I would hope it would be something like Johnsonville. You know? I mean, it would be sad and horrible and, and all that stuff, but I'm just saying, if you had to do it, Johnsonville would be great. You know, Coca-Cola, I guess, would be fine. Pepsi, I don't care. Miller Stadium, Perfect. Could not be any more perfect for a Wisconsin-based thing. You know, Harley-Davidson. It's just kind of like on that level. Weber, you know, Weber Grills, perfect. Oscar frickin' Meyer, I don't care. Acrisure, come on, man. I mean, it's just State Farm, you know. I, come on, I, I just, you know, I don't know, man. I guess it doesn't matter, but it, it kind of does. And it does suck. I mean, it, it becomes part of of everything. You know, the name of your team, the name of the stadium, all that stuff, it, it matters. It's like you've been married for 15 years and then suddenly somebody takes your wife away and gives you somebody else. And you're like, you still got a wife, dude. Who cares? One-to-one swap. Wife yesterday, wife today. What's the, what's the big deal? Like, well, I don't know. Kind of formed a bond with the first one a little bit, but okay, thanks. Valid point, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, in other news, um, 
Lamar Jackson caused a little bit of a stir by saying he needs money, and then everybody freaked out, like, oh, man, this is crazy. He's complaining about money with his contract. And then he was like, oh, no, I I was just standing, like, in a hot dog stand, and I didn't bring my wallet, so no big deal. It's not literally what happened, but more or less. So that caused a big thing, but it's still a thing. Lamar is wanting to get big-time paid. The Ravens are apparently not very committed to it. Maybe they are. Maybe I. The, the, the bigger issue is the guy doesn't have an agent. And it's entirely possible that if he did have an agent, that maybe this would have been resolved by now. But Lamar doesn't exactly know the ins and outs of this process. And so maybe he's just sitting there going, nah, I want more or whatever. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I get it. The agent's going to take a huge cut. But that was kind of my issue when I started a podcast was I don't want to start a network because they take a big cut of, of the pay. I mean, jo- join a network. And why would I give them a portion of the money? I could just keep all the money. The problem is I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't realize things like you only maybe get one for like a week at a time. And then you got to find more. And I can't find more. I, it's too much work. And I, I don't know what I'm doing. And the bottom line is it's well worth it to just give somebody a cut and let them do the work. And you just sit back and do your th- own thing, which is doing a podcast. Because, you know, Lamar getting 90% of a massive contract is worth more than getting 100% of no deal. I don't know if they get 10%. I don't know what the agents get. Maybe it's more than that. I don't know. But whatever. That's that's for him to figure out. And I'm sure they'll come to some kind of an agreement that Lamar wants to play football and the Ravens want Lamar to be their quarterback. Probably. I guess I don't know. Maybe they want him to do another prove-it year. Which makes sense because the guy has not been super great. Apparently he went out and got all jacked and everything. So he, he gained like 20 pounds of muscle, which is insane. I'm not saying he's using steroids, but good lord. I don't know how humanly possible that is. Especially for a guy that already works out. Like if you're if you're brand new to weightlifting, you can put on a bunch of muscle real early, but uh, you kind of hit a point where there's there's limits. Um, I mean, just just scientifically, regardless of having the best trainers in the world or not, regardless of how many calories you eat, there there are just biological limits. But you know, whatever, we'll we'll leave that alone. Honestly, I don't care if the guy's using steroids. It doesn't bother me. I think our um, disdain for steroids is kind of stupid, but that's a whole separate issue. Didn't we draft a roided out offensive lineman that sucked? I mean, it's, it's not like big muscles are going to make you better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, if you use steroids, then you're going to be able to, you know, be 500 pounds of muscle and then you'll suck at football and be huge. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a serious advantage there. A guy that can't move because his muscles are in the way. That's That sounds like a great plan. Anyways, in other news, somewhat more related to the Green Bay Packers, apparently there is an expectation that before the month is out, Mr. Jimmy Garoppolo will have a new home. Um, The reason that's relevant is because it sounds like the 49ers are officially cutting bait with him, which um, was kind of a question for me. I didn't know if they were going to actually do it to run with uh, Trey Lance or not, but it sounds like they're officially cutting bait and Trey's going to get the job entirely, which in my opinion is a good thing. I cannot stand the 49ers. I'm tired of them constantly getting in our freaking way. And um, at the very least, Jimmy Garoppolo is capable enough to steer the ship enough to, you know, beat us. Now, it's entirely possible that Trey Lance comes in and is a huge nightmare, right? The best comp that I can see for Trey Lance is Colin Kaepernick, which sucks because I don't really have fond memories of the days of Colin Kaepernick running all over us. But um, the prospect of a really bad quarterback for the 49ers makes me really happy. So I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, there isn't a massive amount of growth from Trey Lance, who is one of the young quarterbacks that really just hasn't done anything, didn't play because he sucked so bad, 
and uh, that kind of continues. That'd be great to never worry about them ever again. Would be wonderful. Finally, um, I've talked about yes, uh, not yesterday, two days ago we talked about Jesse Bates um, and the prospect of him possibly becoming available because of you know the extension deadline coming up. He's franchise tagged and they haven't come up to a deal, and that that is possibly a problem in terms of the Bengals being able to retain him. Again, they're very unlikely to tag him a second time because the price goes through the roof on a second consecutive franchise tag, so it'd be better to come to an agreement. But, um, you know, you got kind of a limited window to figure that out. The reason I bring it up, though, is because there apparently are three other players that are in the exact same boat. Um, They are franchise tagged, which is, you know, first of all, the fact that you get franchise tag means there's somewhat of an issue, right? You really want them to stay because they're super valuable, but there is a gap between what you think they're worth and what they think they're worth. And the question is, is is that gap ever going to be bridged? And you assume it will with somebody, but there's four guys. Jesse Bates is one. Tackle Orlando Brown Jr. of the Kansas City Chiefs is another one. Tight end Dalton Schultz of the Dallas Cowboys is another one. And then tight end Mike Gesicki of the Miami Dolphins. So in addition to safety Jesse Bates is a tackle and two tight ends. Now, I just got done talking about yesterday when we went through our, um, you know, snap your fingers, you could pick one position, talking about tight end. The fact that a really, really, really good tight end is incredibly valuable, and the Packers just haven't really, not that they haven't tried. I mean, they tried to go out, there was that period of time where we're bringing in every big-name tight end that was over the hill. We had three in a row. All three were essentially disasters. Jimmy Graham was useless, and uh, Martellus Bennett was less than useless. Jared Cook was decent in the postseason, but he basically was asleep until the postseason, and then, you know, then we got rid of him for whatever reason. And again, this doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be available, but the, the, the cool thing about this is, you know, I talked about potentially bringing in a wide receiver, and the complication with that is I don't think the Packers are going to want to because they've already got that kind of figured out. Um, or, or at the very least, going to want to wait and see what they've got before they decide, you know what, let's let's invest in another wide receiver. It just it just it's kind of a tough spot to be in. But tight end is a little bit more interesting because that's not necessarily the case. You assume Mercedes Lewis is probably going to be gone. Um, we're going to have a much clearer picture of what we have at tight end. For example, Robert Tunyon. If he doesn't take a massive step this year and or the injury issue becomes, you know, an issue, you're kind of looking at a guy that's getting older, has never really been that guy definitively, injury issues, and has probably got his hand out like, dude, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking to get paid here. And so maybe we don't continue in that direction. Uh, Josiah DeGuara, we've, we've now seen several years of the guy. Has he ever really taken that big of a step? Then, of course, there's the big question of Tyler Davis. Is there something here with Tyler Davis? But, you know, the, the point is, again, we, we've got three different types of, of tight ends. you got your blocker, you got your H-back, you got your receiver. Those are the terms that I kind of made up, but that's sort of what it is. I don't know that we're going to come to the conclusion by the end of this year that we've got a guy that is just dominant. And I think with Mike Gesicki and or Dalton Schultz, you could absolutely have that. Now, it's hard to imagine any of these guys getting let go. But if you look at Dallas, just for an example, they already let a really good wide receiver go because they just have so many and you can't pay everybody. 
So they're like, we, we've got too many receivers already. We've got a running back we're paying a billion dollars to. We've got a quarterback we're paying a billion dollars to. We've got two wide receivers we really like that we got to pay a billion dollars to. We can't really afford to pay a superstar tight end. I'm not saying that definitively. I'm just saying you could see how they could come to that conclusion. And when we look at last year, for for example, receiving grades, who are our best receiving tight ends? The highest receiving grade on this entire team at tight end was Josiah DeGuara, who ranked 41st with a, uh, let's see, 52.6 overall grade. Not good at all. Mike Gesicki from Miami ranked 13th. He had uh, 780 yards and two touchdowns. He had a 70.8 receiving grade. Um, not a good blocker at all. But again, he would come in and be Tunyon. He's not a blocker. He's not Mercedes Lewis. He's not Josiah DeGuara. He's not Dominique Daphne. He comes in and he's Tunyon. He's going to be lined up in the slot and playing as a receiver. Now, granted, you're going to have to be expected to block sometimes, but point is, that's what he is. Um, Even better than that is Dalton Schultz, who ranked 7th. Dalton Schultz for the Dallas Cowboys had 897 yards and 8 touchdowns. He had a 77.4 receiving grade and also wasn't terrible as a blocker. Um, This is a sort of an automatic fix, man. I mean, he's, he's, uh, let's see, 26 years old. He was a fourth-round pick, had 600 yards last year, uh, eight, basically 900 yards and eight touchdowns this year. He's, again, another receiving guy. He spent about 50% of his time in the slot, which is, you know, what that role is. About 50% of your time, you're, you're lined up in the slot. And again, you're just adding it. We've got Aaron Jones. We've got A.J. Dillon. We've got whatever it is we have at wide receiver. We're not sure what that is. But then you add this into the equation. And again, the Packers are in a decent financial position. I, I, I don't exactly know where they're going to end up next year with all the contracts. I mean, it's it's a convoluted thing. Who stays, who goes, who gets extended, who gets shifted around and all that. I, I don't know what that's going to look like when the time comes. But as of right now, we're in a decent spot for 2022. And so I do find it interesting um, as a potential when you look at who might the Packers want to add. It's very early to even necessarily be looking at, but... You know, the more I look at it, the more it's just, I, I just wish we had it. Again, like I said yesterday, look at how valuable the teams that do have it, look how valuable these guys are. How valuable George Kittle is to the 49ers. How valuable, you know, uh, Mark Andrews is to the Baltimore Ravens or Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia, Travis Kelsey in Kansas City, even Rob Gronkowski at 50 years old, how valuable he is. Kyle Pitts in Atlanta. I mean, these guys and what they're able to contribute to their teams, uh, Darren Waller. And again, we'll see. Maybe maybe we've got that guy. I've already mentioned that with the absence of um, Devontae Adams, maybe they will lean a little bit more on tight end. Maybe this is a really big year for Tunyon, whenever it is he comes back. Maybe Tyler Davis is that guy. And, we don't need, and this whole conversation is going to be worthless. But assuming that isn't the case, it is interesting that there's two guys that are top-end tight ends that are having contract disputes that have not come to agreements on their um, situation. They are running out of time rapidly. And in a lot of cases, it sounds like it's just not going to get done. I mean, just looking at this Dalton Schultz thing with Dallas, who's the, the top guy, let me just read through this. It says, the Cowboys frequently hammer out extensions, preferring deals that last at least five years. That preference has impacted the Schultz talks 
with the Njoku contract undoubtedly factoring into the equation as well. Throughout the offseason, the Cowboys and Schultz have not been close on an agreement. Schultz, 26, did not finish OTAs with the team, citing dissatisfaction with contract talks for leaving. So he's so upset with his contract, he walked out. He's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing OTAs. This is stupid. I'm leaving. The uh, Apparently with Kasiki, the talks have just completely shut down, right? The, we're running out of time to get a deal done, and they're not even talking anymore. So the assumption with Kasiki is this is just a rental year. We're going to tag him, let him play under the tag, and then then he's gone. So there there might be some, some big tight ends available next year, and it's just interesting to me to think, will the Packers go after him? Just a thought. Anyways, why don't we take an early break here, come back and look at a few other things. Again, please reach out if you'd like to uh, advertise or get a message out of any kind on the podcast. We can be your megaphone for you. If you have a budget, let me know what it is, and we'll figure something out. If you don't, we'll figure something out anyways. Try to, maybe. I don't know. Again, we've, we've got a really awesome um, community here of people that just really like to help people out, especially fellow listeners, fellow Packer fans. So let me know. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Packernet.substack.com. Check out the articles we got going on over there. Also, if you'd like to call in, leave a message. Tell me your thoughts, your desires, your feelings, favorite player, favorite ice cream, what dream you had last night. Well, be careful there, but 608-501-0718, 608-501-0718. Put it in your phone, save the contact. If any thoughts pop into your head, oh man, this is crazy, boom, call the number. Takes you straight to voicemail. Be careful, apparently that beep comes up real fast. I scared somebody yesterday. They had to call back because they were so thrown off by the beep, apparently. But I'm not going to answer. You just drop your message and we'll get to it uh, for the latest installment of the Packer Night podcast. Again, 608-501-0718. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to start off by looking at an article from uh, quite a while ago. I've had this kind of sitting here, but um, looking at fantasy football, which is always an interesting way to look at football in general, because the fantasy community is interesting. And sometimes I forget so much that fantasy exists because I'm just, I just don't care like I used to, that I forget that it's such a big part of how people just view football in general. And I think that's maybe where things get askew for me. Like, I don't know where people are thinking these things. or Like, for example, Lamar Jackson, especially like mobile quarterbacks and things like that, they always get more love from the fantasy community because they get a lot of points. I don't know if he still does or not, but that that was always a thing. And and so guys like Cam Newton and, uh, you know, getting rushing touchdowns, they get a billion points. So the assumption from the fantasy community is these are great quarterbacks. And then when they go on to not get contracts and everybody says they suck, it's like, you guys are idiots. He's great. He's not great. He just, he runs a lot. So he gets more yards and, and rushing touchdowns. So he gets you a lot of points. It doesn't make him a good quarterback though. Anyways, um, fantasy football sleepers, busts, and breakouts for 2022. Looking at quarterback, they've got the sleepers to watch out for. And then they've got the bus, and I want to skip to the bus because they've got, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 people on ESPN, 12 experts who gave their opinion on what quarterback is going to be a bust in fantasy football. Of the 12, eight picked Aaron Rodgers to be a bust. Now, I, I don't want to go down that same path of the Packers get no respect or anything, but it just, it just is kind of surprising to me. Let me just ask you this. Why isn't Pat Mahomes on this list? He lost Tyreek Hill, right? I get it. We lost Devontae Adams. The Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill. He's not on this list once. And the Chiefs have been going down a bad path for a while. They're seemingly declining already. And then they lost Tyreek Hill on top of it. You would think that would be pretty high up on the list, as opposed to picking on the MVP who lost his guy. Maybe it has to do with more reliance on Devontae, more of the offense being a Devontae offense than Tyreek Hill, which I don't even know if that's true, but probably a little bit. And they still have Travis Kelsey, I guess. I, I, I don't exactly know. And I'm not even saying it's wrong. I get it. It just, it's, everybody is so slow to ever believe in or give credit to the Packers. And they're so fast to dump on them. The Packers lost Devontae Adams Instantly, boom, Packers suck, Packers offense is bad, Aaron Rodgers is going to fall apart, everything is a disaster. What about the Chiefs? Oh, Pat Mahomes is so good, they're going to be so good. No, It's as if nothing changed for the Chiefs, but the Packers, who are in the exact same situation, completely fell apart. By the way, just to, uh, to further this point, the um, Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers both drafted wide receivers in the second round. Take a guess who is expected to be a very good rookie because of his, the, the spot that he ended up in. Not Christian Watson, who was drafted first. Packers traded way up in the second round to get him, who's going to a team that 
does not have a clear number one wide receiver that has a team with the MVP quarterback on it that's on a team that's got a very good head coach, a team with a very good winning record. Nope, it's Sky Moore who is picked at number 54 in the second round. He's the one that's getting all the the credit and the props and you know watch out for the <laughs> Again, it's not that I don't get it. It's just that there's not a clear, consistent standard. Even what we talked about a couple days ago when you looked at those, when we looked at those top ten lists via ESPN. All right, if if you look at Adrian Amos and you say, what is the standard that they came to to make this list? There is no one standard you can make. First of all, there's no standard you can make that Amos wouldn't be on the list. Right? If you're talking recent history, because Amos was, I, 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 this was the article that you can find from yesterday. If you want more detail on what I'm talking about, but. If you're looking at recent history, Adrian Amos was ranked via PFF, like, I don't remember what it was, 19th he was. So, yeah, I mean, he wouldn't make the top 10 list, that makes sense, but half the guys on that list were not very good, including Jamal Adams, who hasn't been good in three years. I mean, not even good. He's been kind of bad in Seattle. He made the list. Why? Well, you know, big name guy. Well, it's not all big... The point is, if you build a standard and stick to it, that's fine, but I don't see a consistent standard that the Packers and everybody else are held to. And I'm probably putting too much thought into this. I'm, I'm sure these guys don't put any thought into it, but that, that's the thing. It's, it's kind of like that, you know, when, when people ask you a question, they say, don't think, just answer real quick. What's the first thing that comes to your head? Because it, it kind of illuminates bias. Don't think, just answer. Who's going to fall off? Rodgers. Why? He lost Devontae. Okay, what about Pat Mahomes and Tyree? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe maybe that'll maybe that's a thing too. I don't know. I just wish I knew why. Maybe it's just because the Packers are on the forefront of it. Maybe I should put a positive spin on it. People just can't stop thinking about the Packers. They just love boy oh golly oh gee oh my. Although that doesn't really work when you look at the top ten lists and the Packers are off all of the lists. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. But anyways, the the point is, it's not even necessarily that they're wrong. I I do think that they are wrong. As I said, I I. I I don't see massive drop-offs when people leave, whether it be the wide receiver or the quarterback. That There are yards to be got, and it just means that less will go to Devontae and more will go to other people. Maybe a couple hundred yards less, I don't know, but it's it's not one-to-one as they make it out to be. It just gets old, I guess, you know? Every opportunity there is to go after the Packers, they take it. Every opportunity they have to leave somebody off a list, they do it. How in the world does Jamal Adams get on a safety list? Well, he's a big name. You know, again, you can go right back to laziness. It's just the names that I know is the names that I've heard. Nobody talks about Adrian Amos. Yeah, but a very, very, very minor cursory look over some things. If you spent an hour, even one hour, trying to come up with a standard and say, here is how I'm going to come to this conclusion. It's not going to be I'm going to sit back and just look at a list of names and go, you know, these are the... You know, I'm just going to start pulling names that I've, I've heard a lot about. Actually build a standard and then find out who fits that. And you know what? You're going to find names on there that you don't like. Like, oh man, I can't put that on there. People are going to laugh. Who cares? Build a standard. Say, here is the criteria I came up with. And um, it's basically a formula and we'll see what it spits out. Amos is on the list. I don't care what your formula is. He's on the list. And again, it just gets to be annoying when, well, whatever. You, 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 you understand. So yeah, that, that is the, the big hot take, is that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the big bust, don't touch him in fantasy football. All right. There were a couple sleepers that made the list. Um, A.J. Dillon, Daniel Dopp said A.J. Dillon is a potential running back sleeper. Obviously, I think that that's fair. He's been 
He's one of the highest graded running backs in football. And if he sees a little bit more opportunities with an improved offensive line, as I pointed out before, very possible that he takes a big step. Um, tight end sleepers, possibly Robert Tunyon, says Kyle Sop. There's Dop and Sop on this list. But he says Robert Tunyon potentially again, very possibly. Um, that is sort of the, the positive end of it. Rather than looking at it and saying Devontae left so all those yards and touchdowns go bye-bye, look at it and say those yards and touchdowns have to go somewhere else. Where are they going to go? Maybe it spreads out evenly and there's nobody that's really worthy of fantasy consideration, which is entirely possible. That's how the Packers used to operate. Back when I first started playing fantasy football in 2009, you wouldn't dare draft any Packers outside of Aaron Rodgers because you just never know. It would be week to week. One week, Jordy would blow up. The next week, it would be James Jones. The next week, it would be Greg Jennings. The next week, it would be Donald Driver. So you, you just never had a consistent wide receiver. You wouldn't touch him. Maybe that's going to be the case, or maybe there's going to be one or two guys like Robert Tunyon that are going to blow up, especially when you're talking tight end, because there's not a lot of really great options at tight end anyways. So if he ends up getting a handful of, you know, a bunch of touchdowns or whatever, he's going to be worth picking up. But that was it. That was the only thing about the Packers. You had one vote for Dylan, one vote for Tunyon, and then 8 of 12 said Rodgers is going to be a bust this year. So, whatever. There's another article from back in the day that it's not really worth even reading because it's one of those things that the article wasn't interesting, but it kind of sparked um, a thought in me. It's a Bleacher Report article. It says, Firework NFL trade ideas that would transform the league in 2022. And I clicked on it just to see if they had any Packers in there, and they didn't. But the point is, it kind of got me thinking, who would even be tradable? If the Packers are going to trade somebody, who would it even be? Because obviously the first thing is when you look at um, an article like that is, is, oh darn, there's no, you know, because it's more exciting when it's Pat. I don't really care about other teams. But again, if you look at Aaron Rodgers, for example, I don't think we can even trade him. I, I, we would lose a stupid amount of money. And I could be wrong because, again, it's structured so crazy. I don't know how much of it goes away, how much of it would go to the next team, whatever. I, I don't know, but I don't think that's even possible. So we, I mean, we could come up with crazy names and just be like, oh, yeah, that'd be nuts. But I don't know how many are even possible. Aaron Jones, right? Well, maybe we move on from Aaron Jones because we got A.J. Dillon. I don't think we can trade him based on his contract. So I had the idea of looking at who would be the most tradable people on this team. In other words, if there was going to be a massive trade that the Packers did, who would it be? It's not Rodgers. It's not Jones. We're not going to trade Dylan, and none of the other running backs make a, a dent. But at quarterback, obviously, we've got Jordan Love. The problem with that is we just got rid of a backup and kept Danny Etling in, in, with the seeming expectation that that's not going to happen. So obviously, that would be somewhat of a big trade, but the Packers are kind of hinting at the fact that they're not going to be doing that. Beyond that, I don't know how much of a big trade that would even be. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to look at big trades, but also realistic one. Not that any trade would necessarily be realistic, but you get what I'm saying. I think they've indicated very clearly that they're not moving on from Jordan Love. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens after this year. But the other, the other side of the coin, again, is how big of a trade would that be? What could we even get at tight end? Mercedes Lewis is basically not tradable. Josiah hasn't proven anything. Tyler Davis, Dominique Daphne, Alizé Mack, Eli Wolf, none of those guys are worth anything. Robert Tunyon would be the only one that you could consider, but you're talking about a injured tight end that's getting up in age that hasn't really had that breakout year yet. A lot of these guys are players that are worth more to the Packers than anybody else, and so the trade doesn't really make... You lose more value by trading them than you would return. I think Jordan Love falls in that category. I think Robert Tunyon falls in that category. He's more valuable to us 
than to um, than to another team. So it's not worth trading him. A wide receiver, kind of similar. Sammy Watkins we know isn't worth very much because look how cheap we got him. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Samori Turi are rookies. Malik Taylor, Jawan Winfrey are not really worth anything. And Amari Rogers is not really worth very much. He, he might be worth something, but it's kind of silly to even assume that. That kind of leaves us with Alan Lazard. Now, trading him today doesn't really make any sense, but there is a scenario in which Alan Lazard has a big breakout year entirely based on Devontae leaving. Now, it's a very narrow window because the better season he has, the more likely it is we keep him and we pay him. But there is a scenario in my mind where the Packers really, really like what they have. Amari, Romeo, Watson, Toure, whatever combination of guys that they have, they realize we really have something here and we don't want to spend 10, 11, 12 million dollars on Alan Lazard, who had a big year largely because there was, a, a, a again, a, a large vacuous hole that needed to be filled and he filled it and it's a hole that could be filled by somebody else we believe Romeo could step into that spot we believe Christian can step into that spot and we don't want to spend that much money on a wide receiver and so we're going to let somebody else overpay Alan Lazard and we're going to continue forward with the guys we have again it's it's a very narrow possibility but it is a possibility I mean obviously he's more tradable if Christian Watson Romeo whoever blows up and Lazard doesn't but that just makes Lazard less valuable so there's kind of again that narrow window where Lazard isn't so good that we have to keep him or so bad that nobody else wants him but he really had a good year but the Packers believe that it's it's not so good that somebody else couldn't fill that role we like the young guys we want to keep the young guys and we want to keep our cap low because these guys are on rookie contracts and so we're not going to pay them very narrow but it's somewhere in there is a tiny window where I could see Alan Lazard being somewhat of a big asset to be traded. The biggest, I guess the biggest problem with that is we, he's not under contract next year, so we wouldn't even have the rights to trade him. So again, even a more narrow window where we'd have to hang on to him. And what do you tag and trade or something stupid? I don't know. So not a lot here so far with the offense. The only thing left now is offensive line, and this is where things get kind of hairy. We, we, we have so many question marks here. The one that kind of sticks out to me is David Bakhtiari. It seems a little bit crazy, but we have a lot of guys. We know Elton Jenkins is a future tackle. If we have one more, maybe Yash is kind of, you know, a little bit overambitious, but maybe Royce, you know, he, he was a tackle moved into guard. Maybe Cole Van Lannon, probably not. Maybe Zach Tom or Sean Ryan can do it. What if we find out Sean Ryan could be a really good right tackle? or Zach Tom, and there are concerns about David Bakhtiari's health and his contract and, and everything else. Is there a scenario where we feel we're, we're good enough? Maybe it's not you know as good as the David Bakhtiari-Elton Jenkins combo, but we fully understand you got to move on from David Bakhtiari at some point. Is there a scenario in which after this year, we decide to move on from David Bakhtiari, give Elton Jenkins the left tackle spot, kind of fill in at the right tackle spot, and maybe that's something we look to draft in the future? but we've got a guy that's good enough. For example, Yash Nijman. I don't think he's, I mean, he's not on that level of Elton Jenkins at right tackle, but is he good enough that we can offload David Bakhtiari if we have concerns about his health, his age, and his, his expense? In 2023, David Bakhtiari's cap is 20, it goes from 13 million this year to 29 million next year. So it's one of those things, first of all, they're not going to continue with him at, at that cost, I wouldn't think. They're going to do something whether that's an extension or more garbage void years or whatever it is, 
it's going to be some form of kick in the can down the road. The other option would be you trade them. And um, if you did, we would shave, I mean, we would eat a lot of dead money, that's for sure, but we would shave $6 million off the cap, and you'd probably get some major compensation for him, depending on his health. I mean, assuming he plays all this year and still plays at a high level, you're talking about a 32-year-old guy that we can offload from our from our cap, which is important. He's not going to, I mean, the Packers don't like to keep offensive linemen past 30 years old anyways. He's 31 right now. And I don't know that, you know, again, if he still plays at number one tackle in football level, I don't know that we don't get a first-round pick for him. I mean, some of these tackles play until they're 39 years old, for crying out loud. Who knows? If a team believes they can get a solid three years out of him as the best tackle in football, you don't think a team like the Rams, who give out first-round picks like Candy, wouldn't be willing to, to take the best tackle in football and put him on their team? I know nobody wants to hear that necessarily. It's not super fun because we just want to keep David Bakhtiari forever. But again, next year he's 32 years old. And I you know, I don't know the situation. If his, if his knee's bad enough, we can't even trade him probably. But I'm just saying, what if he plays and plays well this year? And I know trades are already relatively unlikely, more than likely that you know wouldn't be the case. But we're going to have... The, the other way to look at this is we're going to have an opportunity with David Bakhtiari out, or excuse me, with Elton Jenkins out to see what we have at tackle. And I, I, in my mind, if Yash can play or if any of these guys can come in and they can hold down that right side, and we believe Elton can go in and hold down that left side, it's not a one-to-one replacement for David Bakhtiari at all. But is it good enough? Is it good enough to justify doing something that has to be done anyways, which is moving on from David Bakhtiari, freeing up a ton of money, which we need. I mean, it's it's $29 million this year, which we're going to eat 23 of that anyways this year. But next year, we save $33 million off of the cap. That's massive. And there's like a $10 million um, roster bonus due, uh, $9.5 million roster bonus due March 20th. So I believe if he gets traded before March 20th, it's an additional $9.5 million off of that. So it wouldn't be 23 we eat or, or $6 million saved. It would be, let's see, 5.9 plus... Uh, 15, 15 and a half-ish, $15.4 million saved this year, and then again, 33 next year. And on top of that, potentially, again, a first-round pick. Even if it's a late first-round pick, I think I'll take it, especially since we're probably going to want to draft a tackle. So it's not a fun conversation, but I think it's it's worth at least considering. Otherwise, uh, Elton Jenkins, no... Royce, Josh, John Runyon, no. All these young guys, there's no chance. There's really nobody else along the offensive line that is is super tradable. Defensively, potentially Dean Lowry. I think you could probably get something for him. Packers really like him, probably like him more than other teams like him. But, you know, more than likely he's a guy that just ends up getting cut or released or just not signed again and then goes and plays somewhere else. But I think Dean has enough value that a team... I mean, you, you look at some teams, and I'm not actually considering a, a, a trade within the division, but look at a team like the Lions. They are trying to build a defense. They have some of the worst defensive tackles in football, even the Bears. The defensive tackles are just not good. They would be they would be more than happy to take a guy like Dean. And if it was a trade, which again, I doubt that he would end up getting traded, but if it was, I don't know what, a sixth, seventh round pick, maybe fifth, I don't know. Again, I'd rather keep Dean, but if, if the plan is to move on, I think you can maybe squeeze something out of that. The problem is much like um, much like Lazard, you'd you'd have to do it probably before the season starts because he's not even under contract. Which means if we didn't do it this year, um, we'd have to sign him and then trade him, which really just doesn't make any sense. So probably just scratch Dean off the list. 
of anybody that could possibly be traded. But that brings us to another uncomfortable conversation, which is much less likely, but it's it's the only one really worth talking about, and that's Kenny Clark. Because, listen, if you're going to talk about trades, you got to talk about people that have value. Um, the only way I see this happening is if we're so unbelievably comfortable with uh, Devontae Wyatt just being a complete stud. But even then, it doesn't really make sense because... First of all, you want Kenny and Wyatt. That's the whole point. But beyond that, Jerron Reed is short-term. Dean Lowry short-term. We don't have a lot of other options. Kenny Clark is only 27. He's not 32 years old. He's a 27-year-old guy. He has a lot more room to grow. We've got him under contract through uh, 2024 with a bunch of void years on top of it, obviously. His cap hit does go up a lot starting next year. goes up to $24 million, but it's not so crazy like $30 million like David Bakhtiari to where you look at it and say no Offensive tackle should be making this much money. Granted, it's more than the Packers are going to want to have to pay, and maybe they got to mess with that. But you know, 23, 24 million is is somewhat somewhat normal for top end defensive tackles. Do I think he's really worth that? No, but I, I don't know. It's it's the only defensive tackle worth talking about, but it's also just not really worth talking about. Edge rusher, the only one that I could think of would be Preston Smith. Um, Rashawn's not going anywhere. Nobody else is worth anything. The issue is we just paid the guy. We just paid him to be, you know, Packer for life. Not that that necessarily has to mean anything. It's just it would be kind of a weird turn of events. Um, he's got a contract through uh, 2026. I mean, the Packers really like this guy. There's, there's no two ways around it. Uh, they structured his contract in such a way, which is very rare for the Packers, that he's he basically gets cheaper every year. When you consider the jump in salary cap, there isn't like the normal really low years and then the spike years to where you look at it and say, we're probably going to move on. This is structured in such a way that the Packers are going to be very, very willing to hold on to him because he's just going to be cheap. His cap hit is 11.4. Uh, next year, it goes up to 13. The year after that, it goes up to 14.8. The next year, it goes up to 15.8. The next year, it goes up to 16.5. And again, with the jumps in the salary cap, it's probably actually as a percentage going down slightly. At the very le- at, at at the most, it's it's holding steady. So essentially, we're paying them about this 11.4 that we're paying them this year, pretty much every year. They structured this in such a way that I mean, it, it's so friendly to Preston to where, I mean, he he got a uh, what five year deal, and it's it's a deal that's structured in such a way that he's very likely to stay on the team as long as he can perform, right? Unless he completely falls off and we decide to move on, then then fine. But it's not that we can't move on either. It's just, again, it's just the, the cap hits are not going to be that devastating to where you feel like you need to move on. And that's so rare for the Packers. I mean, there's no void years. There's no giant spikes. Everybody has that. His doesn't, which is just crazy to me. I suppose if he falls off enough, but then he doesn't become tradable. So it's just hard to envision... Um, you know, he plays well enough that he's tradable and he's under contract at a reasonable price and we're going to move on even though we need... Pe- that, 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 that. I just don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it happening. Cornerback, you know, um, Razul, and we're not, we're not trading Jair. I'm sure there are people out there saying we should trade. No. I don't know why people are obsessed with that, but we're not trading Jair. We're not cutting Jair. We're not moving on from Jair. We like Jair. We're going to pay Jair. He's staying. We paid Jair. Put it that way. Uh, Eric Stokes, obviously, we're not moving on from. Um, and again, Razul is the only one that has enough value to be traded. And we do have him under contract. But again, it just kind of gets to that point of what what is the purpose of it? Um, if it's because he's just not playing up to standard, then he's not tradable. right? If he completely falls off, he's not tradable. If he plays really well, why would we get rid of him? 
he's not expensive. We signed him to a, a contract that he's under through 2024. He goes up next year to $6 million. I just don't see a window between, you know, if he plays up to a $6 million standard, it's, it's almost as if in order for him to be tradable, he would have to play at $10 million of value, and we're paying him $6 million of value. How in the world does he get traded? Why would we trade a $10 million corner when we're paying him $6 million? The only way is if there's somebody else, and there isn't somebody else. We don't have somebody else. I mean, if, if we decide to draft a corner, maybe, but why would we do that? And even if we did, we don't know if he's going to be any good at football. So then it would be a question of maybe we trade him in 2024 when he's 30, and this other guy gets to be real good. I, maybe. But that's, there's so many contingencies to that that are unlikely to happen. Um, and even then, he goes up to 10.7, which is a lot, granted. We're probably unlikely to pay him that unless he just continues to play at this lights-out level. I mean, if he gets a bunch of picks and is completely shut down, fine. Pay the man $10.7 million. I don't care. But um, pretty unlikely, and we would only we would save $9 million of his contract if you know we decide to move on. At safety, you got two guys, and, and honestly, you could probably make a case for either, but we'll just jump to the end with Adrian Amos. He's only under contract this year, and there's all these void years and everything else. We'd lose money if we trade him this year. He's not under contract next year, so we can't trade him. And again, it doesn't make sense to sign a guy and trade him, so that's not going to be a thing. But my hope is that we sign him. Maybe he gets signed and then gets traded later on down the line when he gets to be in his 30s, and the Packers are like, we don't like 30-year-olds, even though he's still playing, and so we move on. And he has one good year somewhere else and then falls off, that whole thing. But again, that's further down the line. I'm looking at what are realistic recent trades that can take place. And um, I think Savage has more of a, a likelihood to be traded than anything. There, there are certain times when you're talking first-round picks that guys get traded on their fifth-year option. Or prior to, you can trade a guy because a team looks at it and says, we'd be willing to pay that fifth-year option to bring him in. And it's it's at that point a one-year rental. And if they pan out, then we get then we have the rights to him and we can pay him. It does happen sometimes that first-round picks get traded at that time to decide, you know, kind of that one-year rental thing. I don't see it necessarily happening um, for a lot of reasons. Number one, we don't have good safeties, so why would we trade them? Even even if we don't really care for Savage, what, what alternative do we have? It gets way worse after Savage. Second of all, Amos probably isn't going to be around for much longer, so we would have zero safeties. But at least from the standpoint of I could see a guy having value and possibly being traded for something, I'd, it wouldn't be a first-round pick, but maybe you get like a third or something for him, maybe a second, I don't know. The value is there, but it doesn't make sense for the Packers. So the the point of this whole exercise is I was upset when I read the article because I'm like, oh, come on, put a, put a Packer in there. Let's do something fun, player-for-player player trade. Like, let's do something crazy. Um, unless we go way down the line and like, okay, we could trade Jonathan Garvin for somebody else's you know, very mediocre safety for some safety depth or whatever. You can do stuff like that, but if you're looking at big-time trades, the only one I could possibly see is David Bakhtiari. If we feel we have a decent enough tackle to be able to hold it down um, after Elton Jenkins comes back, that's it. I mean, I, I, I just don't see any other trades that make any sense. Again, aside from very, very minor trades, um, you know, I, who else? One of the linebackers, maybe Chris Barnes. You know, you could look at a guy like because we have Quay Walker and Campbell. That actually makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe somebody likes Barnes. You know, I know it's kind of somewhat popular. Could see that. But again, we're not going to get a ton of compensation. If it's a player for player, you know, you get a third string corner or something out of it. I don't know. Maybe get a, a, another slot guy for a little bit of depth there. Um, those kinds of things could happen, uh, especially where you're 
have extra depth, and I think linebacker would be probably the number one spot. Maybe offensive line, um, because we got Sean Ryan and Zach Tom. You know, Yash Nijman might actually have some value. I don't think we'd want to get rid of him. I think that's a situation, again, where he has more value here, and the Packers like him more than anybody else. But maybe if you wanted to go that way, because, you know, if, if Rasheed Walker shows something and you do want to keep David Bakhtiari, which is probably what's going to happen, then we got Elton, we've got Bakhtiari, and we like Rasheed Walker, and we like some of these other guys as fill-ins if need be. So, you know, let's move Yash if somebody wants him. Maybe. I don't know. You know, you can go down the line with anybody, Malik Taylor or uh, Jawan Winfrey. If somebody likes him a little bit, you get a little little something-something out of it. Um, but if you're talking big-time trades, I can't see anybody other than David Bakhtiari. That's it. And, and again, even that one's kind of crazy. Um, but that's it. So I was disappointed to see it, but after doing the exercise, it's like, yeah, there's, there's really nothing here. Um, for the Packers in terms of tradable. And, and a lot of that has to do with just this process they've been going through of trying to fudge the numbers on the cap. They've, they've put this in such a position that nobody's tradable. Everybody's got a billion void years and everybody's just on these one year things with seven void years on top of it. And uh, the way that the contracts are structured, half of these guys you lose money with, you lose money with Aaron Jones, you lose money with Aaron Rodgers, a um, bunch of other guys. You, you just, you know, you hurt yourself if you move them off your roster. So there are some potential big trades that obviously could happen around the league, but the Packers are just not a very tradable team. I mean, they're very unlikely to see any kind of player trades. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.